0: let me just pray real quick I know Ernesto already prayed but I'd just like to pray again before I teach Father God please Lord please Lord we beg you Lord Lord that you would speak to us Father Lord I pray that you would speak to us despite me Father Lord this is not about me not about my words it's about your word and what you have for us today Father Lord and I pray that we would just humble ourselves before you Lord, that we would receive your word. or we would be hearers of your word, Lord, but we would also be doers of it. So, Father, take your word. Lord, make us different as we walk out of here than we are right now, Father, because your word would transform us. Lord, we pray that and we ask that in Jesus' name. Alright, so we're continuing to go through and use the book Multiply as we do that in discipleship to guide us as I teach. Uh, we're still in the section on the local church. I gave you guys two weeks. So next week we'll go to section three of part two, which is the global church. Okay, So that's what you should be reading this week and preparing for next week as you discuss and continue to meet in discipleship about the local church, about what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and what we're going to talk about today. So. As we were in John 17, that's where we were last week, we started in this high priestly prayer where Jesus was praying for His disciples. He had been with them this night that He was going to be betrayed. He knew He was going to the cross. He knew that's what was coming. He spoke with them. He shared with them about being in the vine. He washed their feet. He demonstrated to them what it meant to love and to give service. And then He finished with His prayer. And we started with that last week and we understood that we glorify God in the world by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. So we glorify God in this world by accomplishing the work that he's given us to do. And we saw that in the work that Jesus had to do. As we looked through that last week in the first part of the prayer, we saw that the result of Jesus coming, that he glorified God in his work. In verse 4, he says, I've accomplished this work that you've gave me to do and you've been glorified in it. And the work that he came to do, as we talked about last week, that Jesus did, was he made God known. He literally manifested the name of God. His entire character, his entire, everything about him, so that when we heard this name that they would write, they would think about everything about God. Not just a part of him, but every part of him. And then we looked at Jesus' prayer for the disciples. He says, I want to pray these things. We talked about three things that he prayed. He prayed that they would be kept in this name. They'd be kept in this name and this character of God as they had been taught by him. And they prayed that they would be kept from, or he prayed that they'd be kept from the evil one. That while they were in the world, that they would have protection from, not that they wouldn't experience difficulties, not that they wouldn't experience hardships, but they would be protected from the enemy. And then lastly, he prayed that they would be sanctified. And we talked about that's a little bit different understanding maybe than what we have in our heads, but they would be actually set apart for this work that God had for them. As Jesus had been sanctified and set apart for this work that he came to do as he walked on this earth, as he went to the cross, then now Jesus is saying, I'm going to send them as well. I'm going to set them apart. And this is for this work that they have to do. So I want them to be prepared
1: for this holy
0: work that I have for them to do. And we touch the surface of what that work is. Overall, this environment in which we work is called the world. That it's not a great place. We talked about that this is a broken place, that this is a sinful place. This is a place where the unrighteous are. It's a difficult world and we've been sent in humility. We've been sent like Christ. We've been sent to serve. And that we're not to be, to be of the world. We're to be in the world, right? We're in the world but not of the world. And there's this constant tension that we're to, be, we're to be interacting with our neighbors. We're to be loving the world. We're to be separate. Or not to be separated, but we're to be set apart. That we're not to be distant from the world, but we're to be distinct from the world. We should look different from the world, but we don't separate ourselves from the world. And as we do that and as we live in this tension within the world then what's the world going to do? We learned last week the world's going to hate us. The world's going to judge us. The world's going to ridicule us. The world's going to misunderstand us. And so in this situation where we're living in the world, we're living in this tension, we're living in this sinful, broken, unrighteous place where we're hated and misunderstood, we're supposed to rise and shine and give God the glory. And I'm reading that again this week. I'm like, really? Like, so this is the situation. This is the place we live in. These are the things that's going on. This is what we're experiencing. And I'm supposed to rise and shine and give God the glory and pop out of bed. And I can't believe that this is what I get to do in this place called the world I get to do that in in, in this place like this did did Jesus know about this neighborhood and does he know about the addiction here and the brokenness here does he know about the people that are lost here like that I've seen and that I've talked with and I've heard their issues did he know about that and I'm supposed to do that with you guys like he had you know these 11 disciples and Peter and and John but I've got you guys and like what was Jesus thinking no offense, right? you got me. We're supposed to do this together in this crazy place, in this broken place, and we're going to be joyful. And I'm just like, God, I don't understand that. How am I supposed to get up in the morning? And like Leslie said, she did to her kids every morning, rise and shine and give God the glory. And I think we need to take a step back. Sometimes I get locked in to my world, what's going on with me, what's going on even not just my family or in my building, but like with me, with my world, with when I get to go to sleep, when I get to get up, what I have to do, what I have to prepare for, what's required of me, and I'm thinking about me, and I'm thinking about me, and then a little bit later, I think about me. And so I remember as a kid, I would get these uh, world magazines, somebody gave to us as a Christmas present one year, you know, when your aunt and uncles give you those presents that you actually really didn't want, you'd rather have a toy and they give you a subscription to a magazine. But I remember it had these brain teasers, and one part of it is that it would always show these pictures where it had been magnified, where it had been zoomed in, and you couldn't see the entire picture, and it was a common item, it was this normal thing, but you could only see a part of it. And you had to identify and guess and try and figure out what it was. And so I want you guys to try that.
1: Alright,
0: now don't everybody shout it out. So on the left, with the orange and white, anybody know what that is?
1: A baby bottle?
0: A glue bottle? What about on the right? That one's a little harder. Some of you that don't have, uh, you'll see it, or you recognize it, some of us, there you go. I knew someone with glasses would actually get it. So show me the next slide. Alright. It takes somebody with glasses to get that second one.
1: Thanks, Josh. Because
0: <laughs> if you've stood there and you've looked at all those glasses, you get overwhelmed trying to find a pair that you like. But that's what we need to do. I think from this passage and considering that we're supposed to be in this world and we're supposed to have joy that we need to step back that sometimes we're short-sighted we have this narrow view of what it looks like and what we're a part of and particularly we need to step back and see God's plan in all of this at the end of the passage that we were taught last week in 17 and 18 he says I want them to be sanctified in what? he says in truth he says your word is truth and so we need to be sanctified, we need to be set apart, we need to be prepared, we need to consider this that God has given us to do with the perspective of His Word. And so I want to take a few minutes, this is needed, this is important, That so you guys would understand this as we look at the story of God, and so we can take a step back and we can look at the Scriptures as a whole, we can see what God has done, see what God is doing and see what God is going to do, and then we can get an idea of, okay, where do we fit in this, and what is He asking of us right now in this place that we would go into this world. And that we would have this joy. Everybody ready? Alright. So God's plan.
1: God's story.
0: The easiest way is to break it into four parts.
1: The creation. The fall. Redemption. And then restoration. As we look at the scriptures.
0: And this is a shameless plug that I want a wireless mic. (laughs) Because I can't hold the Bible and talk at the same time. Okay, Trent. As we look at this, the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, that's creation. And then you can sort of say from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, that's the fall. And then from Genesis 12 all the way to Jude, all the way to the very end, of the book, except for revelation, that's redemption. What we have, the scriptures, is primarily what we see is God's redemptive plan. So creation, the fall, all of this is redemption. And then at the end, we see revelation, we see this restoration. This is what's to come, this is what's going to happen. And so I just want to walk through that so that we get this perspective so we can see that uh, together. Genesis 1, 26. So creation, chapters 1 and 2. We're not going to read it all. We're going to read one verse. But what happens after God comes? He says, let there be light. He begins to create things. And then the pinnacle, the highest point of creation, when He says, and He makes man, and He makes woman, He makes humanity. So look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, then God said, let us, and there is a reflection of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, It says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So what do we see there? We see two things. There's two results of that. That we were made, male and female. We were made in the image of God. We were made in this way that we can relate with God and that we can reflect God. We can display God. We can demonstrate some of his attributes. And because we also are made in his image, we have this capacity for relationship. We have this capacity for a relationship with God. And we have this capacity, as he said, male and female, with this relationship with each other. So we're in his image. And in His image we have the capacity to display Him and to be in relationship. That's creation. Alright, fall. Move to chapter 3.
1: Let's read
0: Genesis 3, verse 6
1: through
0: 12. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then what happens? It says, Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They had this internal shame. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They were broken internally. They were in shame of themselves. They covered themselves. Then they hear God coming, who they had this relationship with, and they run from Him. They hide from Him. In verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. In verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree, and I ate. First, we're broken internally. Then we're broken, because of that, we're broken with God. And then you see as Adam starts to point to Eve, and later evil points to Adam, and then they all point to the... We're broken Horizontally. That image that God had placed in them had been marred. It had been messed up. And these relationships as a result of that have been broken. That's the immediate effect. And then we see from chapter 3 on through chapter 11. The secondary result, which is this corruption, confusion, and then ultimately dispersion. It starts off as Adam and Eve go out of the garden, Cain and Abel, their sons... Cain kills Abel because he's angry because of his broken relationship horizontally and then they start to multiply and as they start to grow they become numerous and we see at the time of Noah if you guys will turn to chapter 6 verse
1: 5
0: so they've increased in number they begin to spread and in verse 5 of chapter 6 it says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every thought, continually evil.
1: That was the result.
0: That's what it led to. That's how the corruption grew within man. God brings a flood. He starts over. He saves this righteous man named Noah and begins again. And as he begins again, and from these descendants of Noah, they begin to increase again. And then we find ourselves in chapter 11. They begin to gather together, and they they come up with this plan. In verse 4, chapter 11. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let us gather together. Let us come back. What's been? Let us build us for ourselves a name so that we may not be dispersed. Let's recreate what we had in the garden. Let's have that back for ourselves. Not according to what God has for us, but according to what we want. And then what does God do? He confuses them. He changes this language that they have where they can't communicate with one another. And then He disperses them out. What God had originally designed to be together, to be collected, to be one. What he had designed in the garden, that they'd be in this perfect fellowship. He confuses them and he sends them out. He spreads them across the earth. And then chapter
1: 12.
0: Redemption. God calls Abraham and he says, in this man I'm going to create a nation. In this man I'm going to create my own people. And that happens all the way to Malachi
1: 4.
0: The entire Old Testament from Genesis 12 all the way to Malachi 4 is this God calling out this nation of Israel, God having this covenant with this nation of Israel, and this nation of Israel continually breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking 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 this covenant that they had with God. And so God comes and he does it himself. He sends Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. He begins to glorify God, from Matthew to Acts one. And he becomes and he makes God known. He literally comes in the flesh. And after making God known, what we talked about last week, that he made the name of God known, He manifested the name. Then he went to the cross, He substituted, He went in our place. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. He hung on the cross and He paid for our sins. And through that, then we were brought in. Through that, now we have this redemption. Through that, He's been given all power and all authority. And He says, now go and make disciples. Go make disciples that follow Me. And have those disciples make more disciples. And the result of that is the church, and that's where we are now. We're in this period of the church where we are glorifying God, where we're disciples collectively displaying the fullness of God. We're disciples that are to be together, collectively as the church, demonstrating God in this world. And when that comes to an end, when Jesus returns, we'll have this period of restoration. So from Max all the way to Jude and in the time that we're in now this period of the church. When Revelations comes there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. God will restore it completely. And I want to read that. I can't talk about that and not read that because this is the hope that we have. This is what we're looking to. This is what should be in our perspective every day as we live for the Lord. We'll turn to Revelation 21, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, this is John talking, it's a vision that he's received from the Lord, and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's what's coming. That's the restoration that God is moving us towards so again where are we in that story sometimes we lose our perspective we have no idea where we're at on this journey when I last year we went to Phoenix with my kids we got in the car we got on the 118 to the 210 we're barely past Pasadena and Oran's like papi are we there yet Like, are we almost there is this almost over like And as a kid, he has no no idea, no perspective. He has no idea where we came from, that we've just barely made it, not even through L.A., and we've got all this time to go and all this place. He has no idea what Phoenix looks like. He has no idea how to recognize it. And it's the same for us. When we travel by plane, we can go to LAX. We can jump on a plane, and you all can come with me. We can see my mama. We'll go to Atlanta. And all of a sudden, you get out and you're there in Atlanta. It was that easy, it took four and a half hours, it's no big deal, you didn't see anything change, you didn't have any perspective except the inside of a plane. And when you take off, and when you come down. We lose our perspective. But if you traveled across country, if you walked through that journey, if you understood it, if you took step back and you looked at the map and you saw all the states and all the places that we got to go through, you would have appreciation for it. Like, oh, I was there. I remember that. I experienced that. I understand that. And now I appreciate where I am and I appreciate where we're going because I know where we've been. And that's what we want to do this morning as we look at this passage and as we consider this context is that we would drop this Within that journey, we drop this in the story of God and understand where we've been, understand the time of this passage, and then understand where we're going. And that we would have a completely different perspective
1: as we consider this work that God has for us.
0: Alright, so let's go to John 17. The passage we're going to study, chapter 17. We're going to do verses 18 through 23. All right, chapter 17 of John, starting with verse
1: 18.
0: Everybody with me? All right, don't, remember, don't forget. What we just did was important. That wasn't an exercise, that was so that we can understand this. So remember the story of God. Remember the creation. Remember the fall. Remember this redemption, this plan of redemption. Remember that Jesus came. Remember that now we're the church and we're going towards this point of restoration. Alright, verse 18. I'll read it in English and then Grace in Spanish. This is Jesus praying. He says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved me or loved them even as you loved me. So the main point, the big idea, the one thing if we were to take all of this passage we were trying to understand it in one sentence to be the fullness of God is displayed most convincingly through the unity of the church. The fullness of God is displayed most convincingly through the unity of the church. Alright? That's the big idea. And we're going to go through it verse by verse and explain that. So look at verse 20. We talked about being set apart. We looked at and we considered ourselves to be sanctified according to His Word. We took this view of God's Word, understanding where we fit in God's story. Verse 18 and 19, we've been sent. And then in verse 20, what does Jesus do? In verse 20, who is He praying for? Us. He was praying for and talking about His disciples. We're directly there with Him. But then in this context, in verse 20, Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. That's us. In that moment, Jesus is about to be betrayed. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is about to pay for the sin of the world. And he prays for these 11 disciples that are with him. And he stops and he says, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for Trent. I'm praying for Larry. I'm praying for Leslie. I'm praying for Valentine. I'm praying for those that will believe in me through their word. I'm praying for them now in Canoga Park in, as a part of Living Stones. That's my prayer. And I can't help but think that God, Jesus was big enough. He is God. That all that went through his mind. That he considered us. That this is what he was praying for. He wasn't locked into this time. He knew what was to come. He's completely sovereign. And he says, I'm praying for you guys. You're going to believe and I'm praying for you. You are my followers as well. They were set apart. Those 11 disciples were set apart. They knew Jesus. We know Jesus. They were qualified because they were in Christ. We're qualified because not of ourselves, but because we're in Christ. They were given this commission. We still have that commission to make disciples. The same commission, we both share it. We're going to receive the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God indwells in us. We have everything that they had. And Jesus was praying for them, and Jesus was praying for us. And so I want to show you a part of that same conversation. If you go back to John 14, this is the same night, the same conversation. He's sitting with the same disciples. And in John 14, verse 8, he tells the disciples, you're going to do greater works than these. You're going to do greater works than the ones that you've seen me do. Let me just read that. So Jesus just told him, he says, I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm the life. He's like, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And then Philip raises his hand, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. We just want to see God, Lord. We just want to see God. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus had been manifesting. He had been making the name of God known. He had been demonstrating the fullness of God, just putting Him on display. And then Philip says, says, show me the Father. And Jesus says in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to be with the Father. Greater works than these will he do, because I am going to be with the Father. I struggle with this. What exactly does that mean? I prayed through that. I considered that. I studied that. I looked at that. And as I read this, I am completely convinced that God, that Jesus Himself is saying, I'm going to leave, and I was here, I was here in one place, the Spirit of God resided in me, I had the Holy Spirit, I was making God manifest, but I was right here in Jerusalem, in this one place, in this one area. And He's like, and the Holy Spirit is going to come, and He says this in the next verses, He's going to abide in you and then you guys are going to be dispersed throughout the world. And the works that you do as I put God on display, you guys are going to put God on display and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And these works that I've done, these works that I've shown, you're going to demonstrate God as well and it's going to be greater than these works that I have done. And to put that into perspective, if I lived here all by myself,
1: I could display God.
0: I could put God on display. I could show His works. I could make him known but as we live here together as we live in community as we have this church and as we have this unity we can do greater works together than i could do by myself we can demonstrate the fullness of god we can demonstrate more of his name together than we ever could alone it can expand it can explode yesterday karina and i were doing a science project because we're fuller she says we wait till the last minute we're we're uh, never early <laughs> Every once in a while we're late. We're usually right on time. But so we had this science project and she is determining if temperature affects how fast popcorn pops. So we had some microwave popcorn in the freezer, microwave popcorn in the refrigerator, microwave popcorn outside at room temperature, and then we popped them all the same amount, seeing the efficiency of the pop. But she had to do some research before. And as she was researching, we found out that each kernel, there are six types of corn, and only one type creates popcorn. You can heat all other types of corn and it won't pop. There's one type. And that as that cor- kernel pops, when it explodes, there's this, um, there's this uh, water inside the kernel and it steams, it starts to heat up and it steams, and when the steam gets so much pressure, it actually pops open the kernel, and what was inside comes outside, and it's 44 times the size of the kernel. So what the kernel was, when the steam is at it, when the right situation it has, it, it opens up and it becomes 44 times as big, 44 times as voluminous as the original kernel. I really think that's what God wants for us. That's what Jesus is praying for us. That's what he understands is going to happen. He's like, I did this work, but what's going to happen is you guys are going to explode. You're going to go all over the earth. You're going to go to all the nations. You're going to be in every place and you're going to be demonstrating me and showing my name, displaying me to the world. And why don't we believe that? Why don't we believe here in Canoga Park, why don't we believe in Living Stones that we can do that God will do through us greater works than, than these. We have to believe that. We have to believe that we're just as equal, we're just as necessary, we're just as much a part of God's purpose and His plan as those 11 disciples were. Jesus took time to pray for them. He took time to pray for us. And he says, you're going to do greater works than these. We are part of that. We should expect greater works than these here in this neighborhood, in this place. That's what Jesus prayed for us. That's what we can do. That's what God wants to do through us. But we have to be willing. God wants his image to explode in this place that he would be known in this neighborhood that he'd be known in this side of the valley that he'd be known where you guys live God wants to show himself and the reason I think that we don't believe that that we don't think that we've been included
1: is
0: because we've been conditioned to think so individually I've been conditioned to think about myself and about my abilities and about what I can bring to the table and about what God is doing through me. And I have lost focus. I have lost this perspective of what God wants to do through us. What God can do collectively. And the power that comes, the works that will result in us as a body, as a community, as in unity, living out and displaying God's image together. We don't understand that power. But that's what Jesus prays for. As you look at verse 21 and 23, He prays that we would have this oneness. Repeatedly, He says that they would have this oneness, and this oneness is in God. Okay, it's not oneness in us. It's oneness as we are in Christ and in Christ. We're in the Father. We're in the Son. We're in the Holy Spirit. We get to participate in this fellowship that we talked about in John. where That's what John said as he wrote and we study, He's like, I'm proclaiming this to you so that you can have this fellowship that we have. And this fellowship we have is with the Father and with the Son. And it comes through the Spirit. And so this is our oneness. It's in God. And it's through the Gospel. It's through Jesus Christ. It's not through any other way, not through any other truth, not through any other thing. It is through Jesus Christ. That's the way that we enter this fellowship. And we are unified because we share in this experience. We share in the fact that we have realized that we are more dreadfully sinful than we ever dared imagine. But we also share in the experience that we understand that we are more loved and more cared for than we ever dreamed or hoped. That's the gospel. We share. We've come to that place and we've understood that and we share in this repentance where we've turned from ourselves, we've turned from the world, we've turned from the enemy and we've started to follow God. We've repented. We've gone after God. We've begun to follow Him and we've received that forgiveness. We share in that. We share in the death and we share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our unity is because of the work that Jesus has done. But as we have this unity, we have it. This is not something that we have to obtain. This is not something that we have to work harder to get. If we're in Christ, then we are a part of this fellowship. We have this unity. As we look at Ephesians, it says we're not supposed to go after this unity. It says we're actually to maintain it. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner worthy of this gospel that's called you into this fellowship. And you would walk, in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Look at verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We don't have to work for this unity. We have this unity. God has given us this unity and it comes through His Son. We just have to live it out. We just have to realize it. We have this unity based on our position in Christ, based on our understanding of the Word, but we have to live it out practically. We have to actually display this unity of the Trinity. Our unity is through the Trinity. It's in the Trinity. And then our unity also what? It displays the Trinity. It displays the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22. It says, The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Jesus says, the glory that you've given me, I've given them.
1: What does that mean?
0: Jesus says, God, this place that you've given me here in this world this place of exaltation, this place of where I can be lifted up and I can come here and I can live in the world and I can make your name known. I can display you to the world. I can, I can show who you are. I've been exalted to this place where I can do your work, where I can be you here. And what Jesus is saying, is, this place of glory, this place of exaltation that I have, now I am giving to them and they are going to go in my place. I'm going to leave, I'm going to come back with you God the Father, I'm going to be with you. And now, these sons and daughters, you've called to yourself, these that are going to believe in your name, these that are going to know that you are God and that you've sent me, they're going to take my place and they're going to be glorified. They're going to be lifted up. They're going to be exalted. And they're going to get to make my name known just as I made your name known. And so Jesus has taken this glory that he's received from God and he's given this glory to us. And we have this high position. We have this place where we get to make God's name known just as Jesus got to make God's name known. And as we do that, it's shown through our unity. It's shown through our oneness. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father, I and the Father are one. We should be saying, as you see me, you've seen Jesus, Jesus and I and the Father and the Holy Spirit, we're one. And all of us together, we as a church, we as a body, we are one as well. We're all one. We're made, as he says, perfectly one. That we would look like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That we'd be loving one another, that we'd be exalting one another, that we'd be deferring to one another, and caring for one another, just as God does within His, within Himself. That's what it's to look like. And as it looks like that, it's not just this great unity that we're going to sit around a campfire and hold hands and feel unified, Okay? that's the result, of, the result of our union is because we're unified in this truth you see this throughout Jesus' prayer, we're unified in the truth we're unified in love and we're unified in purpose so we're united in the truth, this person, the work of Jesus Christ we at Livingstone say we're gospel driven we're gospel driven, everything, we are part of this, we're in this because we're gospel driven, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ the truth that's revealed through the scriptures that points to him, that's why we're here, that's what we're unified in, we're gospel-driven. Everything we do and everything we are is because of that. And then we're united in love. We say we're church-centered. We are in these relationships where we serve one another, where we're interdependent with one another. Not that I have a need and you don't have a need, not that none of us have needs, but we each have needs and we're caring for each other back and forth reciprocally, interdependently so united in this truth of the gospel united in love together as a church and then we're united in purpose jesus said they've been sent i've been sent i'm gonna send them they have a purpose they're going They have this mission and our mission is to who our mission is to the world and we say at living stones we're neighbor focused so we're to take this love of god and we're to make it manifest we're to demonstrate his truth and his grace to the world around us just as jesus did so also do we gospel driven church-centered and neighbor-focused. So that's wonderful. That's great. That makes sense. Everybody understands it. But just the same way that our unity can draw people to Christ, can show the fullness of God, our disunity can actually push people away. They can look at us, and they can say, really? I'm going to believe in a God? I'm going to believe in a God that loves like they love each other? I don't think so. I'm going to believe in a God that serves serves me like they serve each other? I don't think so. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we displaying that oneness? Do we have that unity? Because the salvation of the world, eternal life, comes through that unity. Look at the end of verse 21. It says, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So I and you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They see us, they see our oneness, they see you, God, they see, they see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in us, and they believe. They see and they believe, they acknowledge His truth. They can't deny the reality and the existence of God. That the best apologetic for this world, the best apologetic, the best defense of the gospel and the realness of God is our unity together. As we live that out and as we demonstrate God, as we proclaim His truth, as we love each other, as we serve together on mission, on purpose. And look in verse 23, the end of that. So He said again that we may become perfectly one so that... The world may know that you've sent me and love them even as you loved me. So the progression goes here from they begin to believe, they begin to acknowledge this truth, they can't deny it, but then it goes to that they have this knowledge that they would know, that they would have this intimate experience with God. Not just knowing Him, but in relationship with Him. And Jesus has just told us that, knowing God, having this intimate relationship with Him, having this relationship that has been broken back at the fall, having this relationship restored because the image of God has been shown in us, that's eternal life. Look back at verse 3 in chapter 17. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, same word, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And then he says here in 23 that they would become perfectly one, that they would have this unity so that the world may know that you've sent me and that you've loved them even as you've loved me. This idea of knowing. In the Greek word, it has this idea of full physical intimacy. Hebrews would use this as a word in place of sex. Alright? right. (laughs) It was that intimate that oneness that as you come together as you share completely that's what they're saying that we would know God in that way we'd be so close to him we'd be so connected with him that we'd be literally one with him and then it says even as I read this over and over again even as it says even as what even as you love me that they would know that you love them You would love the world even as you love me, Jesus. He's saying that the world will know by our unity and as we display God in this place, they will understand that God loves them in the same way, in the same manner, to the same degree that he loved his son. He loves the world just as in the same way that he loves his son. He loves Him so much that He sent His Son. He loves Him so much that He paid the price. He loves Him so much that He came and He lived amongst us. And that's what our unity will demonstrate. Our unity will bring people to knowledge of Christ, but not just knowledge, but intimate relationship to eternal life. That's amazing. Through us, God would show His love for the world. That He loves the world as He loves His Son. Through us together as a body, through us together as we are united in this truth, as we're united in this love, and we're united in this purpose. That's what God wants to do. And that's a picture of His redemption and His restoration. So remember, we talked about the fall. Remember we talked about what were broken? What was broken? Our image inside of us had broken. Our ability to display God. And then our relationships were broken. And now God has brought and He's taken Israel and He's brought Jesus Christ and now in Christ, we're in Christ and we actually, our image is being restored. We're able to, to demonstrate God. We're able to put Him on display. And as we do that, our relationships with God and then internally within ourselves and then with each other are being restored. And we're able to put that on display. We're able to display what God has done for us and the results of Jesus Christ that He came and died for us and brought us into that and is redeeming us and is restoring us. That's what we're putting on display. That's where we fit in God's story. That's our part. And when you understand that's what we're doing, that's what we're participating in, that's when we step back and we see this and I lose my focus on me and myself and my little world and what I have to do and what... My wife is asking me to do what my children are asking me to do, what you guys are asking me to do. And I say, God, look at what I get to do. Look at where you have placed me in this story. Look at what you have allowed me. We pray all the time that you would allow us to participate in this work. This is the work that we get to participate in. And yes, we're in the world, and yes, this world is broken. This world is sinful, this world is unrighteous, this world is difficult. And as we do that, as we live in this world, and as we demonstrate God, the world's gonna hate us, they're gonna misjudge us, they're gonna ridicule us. But what? But this is what we get to do. And isn't this short time of difficulty, this short time of suffering, isn't that worth it when we understand what God is doing, when we have a bigger perspective? The unity of Livingstone's Church, our unity in truth, our unity in love,
1: and our unity and purpose
0: will most convincingly
1: proclaim and demonstrate the fullness of God in this neighborhood.
0: That's what Jesus is praying. That's what He's praying for. That we living stones, through our unity, God would proclaim Himself. God would demonstrate Himself. And as God proclaims Himself and demonstrates Himself and uses us, what is going to happen? People are going to believe, and then people are going to come to know Jesus Christ. They're going to come to know God and know this Jesus that
1: that was sent by Him.
0: So believe with me. Believe with me that that's what God wants to do. Believe with me that God will do greater works than these. That He has greater works here in this place, here through this body, He has greater works in these, and He wants to show Himself in amazing ways. He wants to show Himself where lives will be transformed, where people will transfer from darkness into light, where people will come into the family of God, and they can be part of this fellowship, and they can experience the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with us now and with us for eternity. That's what God is doing. That's what God has for us. That is the glorious work that He has for us, and we need that perspective. We need to step back and understand That's what he's doing. So we should pop up and we should rise out of bed and we should say rise and shine and give God the glory. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how difficult it is. Like God, you have chosen me and allowed me to be a part of this. So I'm going to rise and I'm going to shine and I'm going to give you the glory. What an amazing God that would allow us to participate in that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Lord for your word Lord that you would sanctify us according to your truth that you would set us apart that you would prepare us for this work according to your truth Lord in your word is truth Lord that we would have a perspective of what you were doing Lord what you've done Lord, what you've done in the cross, what you've done through your Son, that you have brought us into this place where this image is being restored, where this relationship with you and with each other is being restored. Lord, in where we are going, that we would have that picture of a new heaven and a new earth, and that we would be so excited, so joyful, so ready to get up and to work for you, Father, to put you on display here in this place, Lord, that we would proclaim your truth, and that we would demonstrate the results of your gospel, Father, in our lives.
1: Lord, thank you that we get to
0: participate. Lord, that you have called us. Lord, I pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Lord, that we would follow you, that we would lay down everything to be a part of this work. Lord, and that you would supernaturally, through your Spirit, display in this body, display in living stones the fullness of God in this place. Lord, I pray that people would come to believe and people would come to know here in this place, Father. Lord, we trust you now for greater works than these. Father, please, Father, please do that. Lord, we ask that you would do greater works than these right here amongst us. Lord, use us.